right. We should be recording now. Why are we recording? Because we're doing a podcast. I was not informed of that. Oh, okay. Instead. So you're just Skyping me for no reason. Yeah, that's just what, for shits and gigs. It is still technically a pandemic, so I think a lot of people are doing that, Joel. And if you could not that's be condesc- condescending towards all of those people who are currently homebound, I think they would appreciate it. I wish I was homebound, but Oklahoma is the eighth frozen circle of hell at the moment. Mm, uh, I thought that was in Norway. Yeah. I would have assumed, but nope, it's Oklahoma. Uh, there are currently like 300,000 people and it's still raining because uh, of this ice storm. And we got a flood warning this morning That's on top of icy rivers. it being freezing out of uh, nobody has power and, you know, pandemic. Now we also have floods. So it's a fun time all the way around. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, yeah. Like, uh, some someone in your state must be just like Sodom and Gomorrahing everything. I'm gonna blame it all on Governor Stitt because he's the worst, and so why not? Seems like there's uh, a lot of like credit, which is probably what he wants. Yeah, that's actually true. That might be too. I think most giving him too much. Somewhat megalomaniacal. Somewhat. Well, um, yeah, I. I left my house Monday afternoon um, when power went out and I haven't been back. Well, I went back a little bit yesterday to find that a tree has fallen in my backyard. Luckily in between my house and my carport. Um, so I cannot get my car out of the carport, but my house is not crushed. Oh. And as far as I know, my car still exists. So <laughs> small victories. I, you know, so, it would make sense though, if your car got crushed right after you paid it off. Uh, right. Know. I guess we don't need to wrap an intro. Most um, things don't have an intro. They just suddenly arrive. Like babies. <laughs> I think they do. It's called pregnancy. Uh, no, no, I don't know anyone who's ever pregnant. Oh, <laughs> good to know. That seems almost, not even almost, that is impossible. Uh, you know what? You're probably right. <laughs> This is the book report. Well, um, welcome to another riveting episode of the book report podcast. Um, I'm Joel. The silent person is Stephen. Through <laughs> that, I didn't say my name. Uh, last Not week, in a court of law. Uh, last week we talked about a couple of the things we are planning for this um, season, and then. Well, Ice Storm and a bunch of other random stuff happened, so we didn't get around to doing any of the more complicated planning episodes. But we have something fun for you for next week that we'll announce at the end of this episode. And we are going to go over the first – how many chapters of Out of the Silent Planet did you read, Stephen? You told me to read three, so I read okay. three. Yeah, I, I kept saying two or three in the last episode, but I, I read three as well, so we're good. So yep. we're on the same page there, and if you read along, we'll go over that. But first, as kind of like actual content, um, I wanted to touch base on the episode we did in season two, season two, episode 10, judging books by their covers. We both talked about three books on it that we were about to read, um, and we wanted to go over them and what we 
actually thought of them if we read them all. Do you need a refresher on the ones you talked about, Stephen? I do. Yeah, okay. probably. Well, you already did one. You did um, Heroes Die, and you're, we already did an episode on that one. We did. It's a great um, book. Yeah. Everyone should. You also did Noble House by James Clavell and mm-hmm. Malzan, Malzan Book of the Fallen by Stephen Erickson. Mm-hmm. I did Born by Jeff Vandermeer, The Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller, and Catacombs by Marianne Evans. And mm-hmm. I only read two of them. <laughs> Nice. Well, you read two more of your books than I read of mine. I didn't make it to, well, I guess that's not true. I did read Heroes Die, and it was good. And we did an episode on it because it was good. I did not read Noble House yet. And then I meant to start Malazan Book of the Fallen, but I can't find it anywhere currently. (laughs) Best reason ever to have not read it. You just can't find it. Well, um, this might just be ended up being kind of a shorter episode then. Uh, I can briefly talk about the three books I had because I started Catacombs, but I stopped like three chapters in because I was just not in the mood for that kind of book. Uh, it's like a murder mystery, like with intrigue and kind of like some spy stuff. And it feels like a serial fiction, you know, like there's been other adventures these people have been on. So they are well-established characters, and I have just not read any of the other books in that series, and I didn't realize it was part of the series. So I just gave up very quickly in that book and to, before I researched the rest of the series and actually read it. So that one's just been sitting on a shelf for months now because I didn't actually feel like doing all the work that needed to go into actually reading the book. But it's set in Oklahoma City, and it seemed interesting. version of reading. Say it all that again. It cut out. The, uh, yes, the high school spark notes version of reading a book. Yes, I'm going to have to do that before I ever crack open catacombs again. <laughs> but it was an interesting setup for a book, I guess. I don't know. This is why you shouldn't just judge books by the covers. You should do a bare minimum of research. <laughs> <laughs> but the other two I absolutely loved and like w- could do whole episodes on just them. So two out of three ain't bad. I guess, or mm-hmm. we'll have three out of five, three out of six. We've got 50%. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's still a failing grade, but yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> well, um, Born is, um, I've already purchased that book and every book set in its universe for a friend for Christmas. I loved it so much. So if you haven't read anything by Jeff Vandermeer, I normally would say, uh, Annihilation, which was turned into a movie, is um, the, the first thing you should start on. But no, this book is so, so much better than that. Uh, it's an apocalyptic fiction um, that takes place way distant future to the point where we no longer have like computers and stuff. Everything becomes biotech eventually. And this is like 50 years after biotech took over completely. And then the world just kind of shut down and it's all from the point of view of this um, scavenger who then finds a piece of biotech that seems completely sentient, um, but was never once human. So it wasn't human turned into something else. It's just a sentient organism that they created. And it's a 
it's a very, very good book, and I can't even begin to describe it in more detail because Vandermeer just writes things so ethereal and um, just strange that even if I just told you everything that happened, you would still be able to read the book and get something amazing out of it because it's all about the feelings and the weird terror that he's able to convey without like any solid footing, if that makes any sense. Okay. Like it's, it's very difficult to describe what makes his writing so unique, but like, I can't, he doesn't ever come out and say directly what's happening. It's all in poetic language where you get the image of what's going on, but he's never like, and then this person got shot in the head. It's all almost impressionist writing. It's very interesting. Reading a book by this guy going to give me a deep sense of melancholy when I'm finished with it, or even while I'm reading it? The um, Annihilation series will. Yes, absolutely. This one is hopeful. <laughs> oh, that's good. I don't like melancholy. I don't like leaving a book feeling depressed. Yeah, the last, the final book in the Annihilation series, like, it's just so soul-sucking. It's beautiful the entire time, but it's just, like, ugh, at the end of it. You're like, I can't go on. <laughs> so that's a difficult read, but it's so, so pretty. Like, it's just really pretty language. It's very strange describing it. Okay, cool. But Born is all of that, and it's kind of a hopeful story. Even if it's set in the apocalypse, it's still hopeful. And the only thing, like, both these books uh, are first-person point of view, which I almost always hate in novels. But these two were both first-person point of view plus something that made them amazing. So um, in Born, it was all first-person POV, yet it was also this weirdly ethereal, impressionist version of writing. And so it worked. It wasn't... It wasn't bogged down by all the over-description, that's not how people really talk kind of thing that most POVs have. Uh, so yeah, I loved it. Okay. Okay, say so you keep, yeah, you're doing the cutting in and out thing again. I heard no. yeah and then nothing else. Well, I would say that it sounds like you like this guy for the same reason that I like um, Guy Gabriel Cave's writing and that it's just very distinct in how they write. And it's different than how everyone else does it. Yes, he's got he's got he's very. Um, I'm gonna have to cut out all those weird pauses where I couldn't figure out what the next word was gonna be. He is unique, and his voice is like so so different than anybody else you'll ever read. I've never come any writer that's any close to Vandermeer's style. Yeah, I always and love then, it when I can find it who can do that because it's so rare to find someone who's actually any good at it a lot of authors will try to do a different style um and it falls really flat or it just ruins the book and like the most recent example i can think of is the broken earth trilogy when she was trying to do like that weird i don't know you point of view um yeah it was inventive and unique and it sucked and i never want to read a book with that type of person viewpoint again but i love books where it's done incredibly well because it feels so fresh yes and like when it's somebody like me and you who's read way too much whenever you find something that is truly unique it's just i gravitate towards it like i can't get enough of it 
Yeah, I have an unread book by the guy I was talking about sitting right behind me right now on my list of stuff to read because I just I love sitting in the worlds that he creates. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, and then that's actually the reason I loved the song of Achilles so much. Um, it's also a first person point of view, but and it's it has it would have all those same issues of its first person point of view trying to describe a world that they live in except that the author doesn't even bother doing that. It's just written so plainly that um, uh, it's lived in, and it's not them trying to – the world building, which I don't even know if you can call it world building when it's set in a version of our reality. Like it's not really – it's just historic fiction basically, Um, and it's rewriting a very famous story. and it's doing it all from a first-person point of view and then not apologizing for its setting, which I guess is a type of world building. But that last step, that just not apologizing for the setting, is so well done that I've already started reading Circe, her other book, because um, every other time people write in a historic period, they have to do that uh, anachronism thing where they explain it to you in the time that they're writing it like every single thing has to use and they don't even use modern examples usually but they have to like translate it so that you can understand it um with modern examples and uh madeline miller doesn't bother doing that everything is written with uh like um idioms and turns of phrase that would only make sense in ancient greece um the gods are written as if they're you know regular characters that are walking amongst them and actually interact with the weather and stuff in reality. They never make an apology for that. They never uh, do the thing where a thunderstorm rolled up, but they don't believe it was an actual thunderstorm. They think obviously Zeus is mad about something and it's just there the whole time. There's no, there's no hedging the bets. There's no translating into modern times. It's all entirely in this ancient Greece lifestyle and world. And it works so well because of that. So I think there are a few authors who do that really well. Um, Like uh, the guy who I keep telling you, you should read books by him, um, whose name just left me. But he wrote Shogun and Noble House and all of those. James Clavell. I think he does a really good job with that as well. The thing that I um, want to find more of when it comes to books that are set in like historical settings, what I really want to find, and it's really hard to find this. I want to find books that don't put modern sensibilities and modern like ideas of justice or morality or whatever into a historical setting. Um, Because even he does that, even he like um, in his Shogun book, he puts um, like modern ideas of sexuality and relationships into his books set in like the what was it like 17th century Japan? And it just doesn't make any sense. Mm. Um, and then like when you're watching um, movies, a lot of them will have like these really modern ideas about feminism or race. And that's all well and good. But I think you lose something when you transport those ideas into a historical setting, because that's not how it worked. Like if you go into a historical setting, you're going to have a lot of what we would call racism. But those people would not have called it racism. They would have just accepted certain things as normal or even 
um, like a lot of books are written with strong female characters in history. And those characters probably would have acted very different. They may have still believed they were being strong females and they were fighting their way through, but they wouldn't have acted the same way that we would imagine them to write or act. And I really want to find a book that does that well, because so far I have not been able to do that. Um, well, that's because why every fiction book like takes our modern ideas of whatever it is and they turn it into these old, old, old worlds where that mentality just would not make any sense. And that's uh, that's one of the things. There's a couple times later in the book where it's obvious that that happens, but for most of the book, it is entirely their sensibilities and their morality, and doesn't even uh, doesn't even have a single like you know, audience stand-in character that is questioning it. It's just always, this is how it worked. So when they're sacking the city of Troy and instead of attacking the walls, they're just slaughtering all of the cities around it and gaining like your, your love, uh, your, um, your, not your main character, not your point of view character, but your like paramour character is slaughtering innocents by the hundreds and getting praise for it and like eating it up. That's, and that's just what the culture – that's what he was supposed to do. That's what his big deal was. And the uh, the goal of all of them to have like – to be well-known in their – like after they're dead and to uh, be like hero-worshipped, uh, that being the goal and not even to like take the city and not even to defend some woman's honor. Like none of that is even touched upon. This person knows he's going to die, doesn't care. It's all about – you know, making a name for himself while he's on earth. And it's just, and then slaves are no big deal. They're just there. And it's just very much set in this world that you just have to every now and then be like that. uh, uh, Why am I accepting this? If this was written about anything that was happening today, these would be the worst characters, but it's just written plainly. And they're the heroes of the story. And it's very interesting because of that. Well, I can respect that for sure. And I always like it when authors can do that. And if they can manage to do it consistently across all of the different points they're trying to make, that's where I'm, I'm like impressed. Yeah. And I love the, I like Greek and Roman mythology and I like mythology period. I love reading weird mythological tales. Um, and so the fact that they, she pulled so many, not exactly obscure ones, but not popular sto- pieces of the story and stitched them all together into one coherent narrative like was so much fun they had the whole the whole middle section of the book is this training montage where they went and trained with the centaur um what is his name Uh, it's gonna bother me but the the centaur the same one that trained heracles and all the great heroes and was in, in the disney hercules movie but they made him a satyr instead of a centaur for some reason um they pulled that whole story the whole part of the story where achilles runs off and cross-dresses for six months so he doesn't have to go fight, like pretends to be a woman, so he doesn't have to go fight in Troy until he's tracked down. They put that part of the story in there. Um, And all of these really interesting bits of the Greek lore, uh, she stitched together in one story. And that was also pretty fun because it felt like a little bit like reading Edith Hamilton's mythology, except that he jumped around even to the highlights instead of picking all the pieces together. Sure, sure. That sounds about right. Well, yeah. Very cool. So, yeah, well, uh, give me a reminder of why you wanted to read Malzahn and um, Noble House. And Shogun so, is still the top of my next list. 
Oh, that's good. I hope you enjoy it. Um, I thought it was good. His writing style is a little, um, I don't know, slow on the uptake. It's a little plotting sometimes, but I think he does a really good job world building. As far as why I want to read Noble House, it's what we were talking about a minute ago. You find an author that you like, want to read everything they've ever written. I really have enjoyed everything that he has written that I have gotten my hands on so far. It takes me a while to work through it, but it's always just mind-blowing in one way, shape, or form. And he does a really good job of um, like writing into the culture. So Shogun is set in 17th century Japan, and he does an excellent job of writing into that culture. Um, Taipan is set in 18th century China, and he does an excellent job of writing into that culture. Noble House is set in the 1960s in China, so I imagine he'll do a phenomenal job with that as well. He'll probably do even better with it because that's when he was alive, so he could probably draw from real-world experience. <laughs> um, so that's mostly why I want to read his stuff. I just really love love how much work he puts into making his his worlds feel authentic and real mm-hmm. and wrong that's uh malazan it's authentic <laughs> yeah malazan book of the fallen is just consistently ranked as one of the best um fantasy series that exists the reason i've put it off for so long is that um two reasons one it is also famous as having one of the worst endings of a fantasy uh, series yeah, and I'm a bad ending it, can ruin a whole book Exactly. So if if the ending is going to be bad, do I really want to build myself up for that? Not particularly. So I've been putting off reading that book series for, oh, shoot, a decade. (laughs) Um, It's it's like 13 books long. So it's a long commitment for a bad ending. Um, But the other reason I am hesitant to read it, but also excited to read it, is that there are two different styles of world building. One is where you kind of slowly introduce the new concepts to people, kind of like Harry Potter, right? Um, The first book just kind of introduces you to the idea that there's a school called Hogwarts and they do magic. And then by the end of the series, you've got all of these other things. You've got Patronuses and Horcruxes and all of these things that did not exist in the first book. Um, Steven Erickson in his book is on in the other school of thought where you say, you know what? I'm creating a fantasy world. We're going to throw everyone into the deep end. The entire first like eight chapters are going to be nothing but words, phrases, and people that you've never heard of and cannot understand what's going on. And it's going to be a trial by fire, but damn it, you're going to be immersed. Uh, Yeah, that sounds like I hate that version. Like, not hate, but those can go wrong so much easier than the other version. I think. And I think those, the second type tends to be more internally consistent. Yes, Um, definitely. But they can also, they can very easily go wrong. It's just really hard sometimes. And sometimes I don't want to put that much effort into reading a book. Yeah. If it starts to feel like a textbook, that's just not my favorite. I'm sorry. And this is probably a weird prejudice that I have that I need to get over. But if 50% of your words in the first like chapter are made up, then I'm done. I'm not reading any more of your book. Like, I just can't do it. Um, I don't know yeah. why that bothers me so much, but that does. It bothers me so much. Yeah, that's totally fair. So, I don't know. Those are just two that are on my list. Um, I've added some other stuff since then, but uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I've not done well at getting to those books. And ironically, I've read other books since then. So it's not that I haven't read Same. it. It's just I didn't read the books I wanted to read, which happens 100%. really often. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, if you listened to last episode, we gave you a week to read three chapters of Out of the Silent Planet. And we're now going to be very spoiler-free for the first three chapters of the book. Uh, so deal with it. Um, it's like it's also better than both Joel and I put together. So if you haven't read it yet, that's your fault. Yeah. Also, it's like free on Kindle. Like it's like ninety-nine cents, but it's basically free on Kindle. So like I started reading it in a physical yeah. copy and switched to uh, reading it in my phone because it was free. So you should be able to catch up. Yeah. Anyways, so what did you think? First thoughts. I like it so far. It's um, very different from the other things I've read by C.S. Lewis. And I am interested to see kind of how it plays out. I, I It's kind of funny to read just knowing a little bit about C.S. Lewis's life because the main character is a philologist or a person who studies like languages and is a professor and is like old and is like a lover of nature and is walking around and all this stuff. So mm-hmm. basically this book's protagonist is C.S. Lewis's friend, J.R.R. Tolkien, who yeah. was a philologist, a professor, loved nature and liked to walk around outside. So um, that's been really entertaining to think that C.S. Lewis just wrote one of his friends into a story. Uh, as the main character, yeah, and I've enjoyed that quite a bit. The, yeah, the most important character, which is interesting. I, uh, it's also funny, because I think, I want to say it was C.S. Lewis who at one point said that, uh, like, philology was a worthless discipline. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. Nobody in the book so far in three chapters is like, I don't really like anybody yet. <laughs> including the main character. He's really annoying to me. Um, yeah. uh, so I can see him hating the concept of philology, but also like the well, first chapter is written rough. in like what I would an English gentleman style, if yes. that makes sense. Yes. And I had to like turn my brain to that um, before I could start getting into the book because the first chapter I was like, I read like three pages and was like, Oh my God, I'm going to hate this whole thing. And then say again, I was laughing. Uh, And then I looked up when it was written and like put my mind into that context and started over and was like, okay, I can get on board with this. I can get through three three chapters at least. And it really was just the first chapter because the second chapter, once like the story started moving and the third, I almost wanted to keep going. Like I wanted to read the fourth and the fifth uh, because of the way it kept leaving things at the end of the chapters. It was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It, it took a slow burn, which is funny because the first chapter is only like four pages long. But it's a slow burn <laughs> until you get to the third it's chapter. And then it really stuff. takes up six yeah. pages into the book. I'll tell you what. Well, uh, let's go. Let's give a quick overview real fast of everything that happened. So what's his name? What's the main character's name? Ransom. Huh? Ransom. Ransom, yeah. So Ransom's on a walking tour of England. Because that's the thing people... John Locke walks, obviously. But with legs that work. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's a thing people did, apparently, just walked around England back then. Oh, uh, so this is actually a fun tidbit. People still do that through England. And if you buy a house in England, you just have to accept that your land is public. So a lot of American huh. like famous people will move to England and get super pissed off because British people will just walk through their backyard all the time. And they're like, what the hell is happening? I bought this. And the government's like, yeah, no, you don't really own it, though, because we have walking rights. So old people can go pretty much wherever they want. I kind of love that. Um, I've also never cared about my yard, so maybe that's it. But still, like, that's interesting. But walking, like, back then, I guess there was, I don't know, we now have trains and cars and bikes and And television. And television. I can't imagine, like, I love walking my dog every day. I love getting out in nature but i would never walk for days on end like what no kill me yeah so so different opinion on my side because i like hiking and things like that and i've done a couple of overnight backpacking trips so i i see the appeal okay well i hated him from that when he was like excited about this walking tour there was a point where he i have some quotes that i stole when he's talking about the reasons he loves it he says um on a walking tour, you are absolutely detached. You stop where you like, and go on when you like, and as long as it lasts, you need to consider no one and consult no one but yourself. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I get that. That's like I agree with that. Heaven. Yeah, that's absolutely travel. But you don't have to walk from place to place. <laughs> like that's why I like traveling alone, but not walking through a countryside alone. <laughs> Fair enough, I suppose. I don't know. It sounded really peaceful to me, which is why I think I fell asleep during chapter two. <laughs> well, yeah. And then in chapter two, things got strange. So oh, he, it picked up real fast. Like yeah. chapter one, he's just walking through the English countryside, asking an old lady for directions. Chapter two, he breaks up what looks like a gang fight. Yeah, like a fight where they're trying to put a um, they don't come out and say it, but it sounds like mentally challenged kid in a lab. <laughs> Like um, trying to this boy off for human experimentation because no one's gonna miss him. It yeah, goes, it's like this is crazy right out of the gate. Yeah, literally one of the people says he's the sort of boy who, in a civilized community, would be automatically handed over to a state laboratory for experimental purposes. What the hell kind of thinking is that, dude? I'm just like, I don't think you could necessarily write this book today, but I love that it's already written. Because yeah. already you're just like, ooh, ooh, ooh okay. this is me. Well, so like at that point, I already hate this walking moron. And now I hate the people who he's like friends with, that like fellow professionals that are about to like torture this simple kid. <laughs> like, and his mom's worried oh, sick yeah. about and him. He's just reminiscing about the old days in college. And he's like, oh, and I remember when old Chauncey over here told a funny story and it was the best days of my life. And I was like, dude, and 20 minutes ago, they were trying to experiment on a kid with mental problems. What's wrong with you? This is such a great book so far. Um, uh. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then, as if things couldn't get crazy enough, they he goes in for a drink. And then the next thing you know, and then this isn't really explained either. He gets, like, drugged. And then they're like, we're going to take him off to be experimented on. And you're like, what? What? And then he wakes up in what we can only assume is a spaceship at this point. <laughs> what? 
like the whole, he's like i see dude and then his dick of a friend who is a, trying to kidnap a mentally challenged kid walks in and he's like that's not the moon it's the earth, earth. and that's it that's what we're that's where we are right now so he spent the entire third chapter describing what sounds like the inside of a rocket ship, but he just thinks it's a room with a tiny little window above him. Um, the moon looked too big through and the starry night, it looked too dark outside. And it's like, that's because you're in space. <laughs> and that's yeah. where we're left. Yeah, this 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 book so far is a fucking roller coaster. Right. Oh, my God. Next chapter, who knows what's going to happen. He's going to meet aliens and get impregnated by one of them. Like, honestly, C.S. Lewis might be the master of getting you hooked in a book because I was like you. That first chapter was a struggle, and then I couldn't put the damn thing down. Yeah. I had this, like – I'm pretty sure I texted you and asked you how many chapters you're supposed to read because after it was – he was in space, I was like, well, I want to – I'm going to keep going. Now I'm very <laughs> into this already. Yeah, it was exciting. And these are really short chapters. I don't know if that – I can't remember if that was a convention back then, but these are very short chapters. Yeah, they're like 10 pages maximum. Uh, I'm at page 19 in my version, and that's the end of chapter three. Um, I don't know. This says page 282, but that's because there's a big foreword in this book and a bunch of other things on the Kindle version. But I'm only 12% into the book, so... <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what happens next because there's no way this is going downhill from here. I'm gonna look in the uh, the opening and see how many chapters there are. So there are 22 chapters. So um, if we do three a week, we should. That's not gonna come out evenly. Um, so we'll be done really quickly though. Let's just do two a week from now on. Oh, no, let's do three again this week so we can get back on to an even and then do two a week from then on. Whatever you say, boss. Okay, so we're going to do four, five, and six this week, everyone who's reading along with us. Um, so, yeah, read chapter four, five, and six because we'll spoil them and discuss them next week. Uh, but, yeah, I forgot how much I love C.S. Lewis's, like, writing style, even though I like hated the fact that it's written for adults and very hoity-toity at the beginning, but his, yeah, his ability to suck you in and even though you hate the characters keep going like is very interesting because i remember in the oh, first yeah. like in the because i've read a bunch of his like non-fiction writing but i've also read obviously the entire um uh line the witch the wardrobe series um and i did not like any of the kids in the first few books and i still read every single one of those books so maybe there's going to be a redemption factor for the characters by the end um, and you'll like them by the end of the books, but at the beginning you hate them. I don't know. Either way, very interesting so far. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I just – I think it'll be interesting to read a book where the protagonist is basically – I think this book was just written as, like, C.S. Lewis's um, internal desire to – To shove Kajara off Tolkien in a rocket and send him off the planet. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> right. right. Something <laughs> like that, exactly. I love that because they had like a like a friendly rivalry and maybe he was just like annoyed at Tolkien one day and he's like fuck I wish I could just like shoot him to the moon (laughs) and then wrote this book yeah I mean like Tolkien has some quote where he's like no serious academic or um what is it it's something about allegory allegory being stupid yeah yeah essentially which is funny 
on one level because obviously C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, is a huge allegory. But the it's funny. Narnia series is, but yeah. But it's funny on a deeper level because C.S. Lewis's like PhD dissertation was in defense of allegorical structures of English <laughs> literature. <laughs> and there's so many people who try to apply Christian allegories to the Lord of the Rings. Um, and he and, and he told was like, stop. Yeah, Just it's don't. hilarious on so many levels, that quote. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Anyways. Well, um, yeah, so catch up. Uh, next week, we'll be doing more of these. And for the main episode next week, Stephen, this was your brilliant idea, and I'm really, really excited about it. So take it away. So what we're going to do is we are going to give each other essentially a writing prompt. Neither of us knows what the other person is going to say beforehand. And we have one week to write a short story about whatever it is and read it on air the next week. And I am begging that uh, I want to make one tiny change to that. And I don't know if he's going to accept it. But I'm going to do it on air. I hate reading my own like writing out loud. It just like fills me with anxiety. Can we swap writings and read the other person's out loud? It depends on what you give me. If I think my, I, I want to read the more interesting story. So um, <laughs> I'm going to base it off of whatever the topic. Okay. And also, like, I had such a hard time coming up with a writing prompt. So I have five and I don't know which one I want to give you. <laughs> give you mine first that you're going to write. And okay. uh, maybe that'll help. That will probably help narrow. Yeah. Make you pick between these two, these five. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, you're going to email it to me afterwards so that I can actually have text in front of me. So, yeah. yeah. And Just I can flush it out if you need to. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, have, I'll probably have questions. I'm sure you will. Okay. So, your writing prompt, should you choose to accept Wait, it? Time out. Time out. Do we have a word limit that we're trying to get under or reach? Uh, what's the limit for short stories? I don't really want to spend my entire, all my free time next week writing a story, to be honest. Um, Let's see. A short, the average short story should run anywhere from 5,000 to 10,000 words. Oh, that's neat. Okay. But yeah, they somewhere can't be that. anything above 1,000 words. So okay. let's go shoot for at least 5,000 and no more than 10,000. Let's just follow that rubric. If you want to read both of them online, 5,000 might be a little better. That's what, like 20 pages? Yeah, about. Let's go with uh, shoot for roughly 5,000. Under probably better. Okay. Okay. So no more, no more than 5,000. That's just what we'll say. Okay. No more than 5,000. No more than 5,000. Okay. 5, okay. So your writing prompt, should you choose to accept it? God, I'm so scared for some reason. Go. <laughs> so basically what I want you to do is write me an alternate history where people actually live on the moon. It's like a full ecosystem, full habitat. And so that is what both worlds are basically striving towards, like some type of contact. And you can basically see each other if you have binoculars, but you can't touch each other. Okay. For like so, thousands of years. Okay. Are they um, – people just grew up on the moon? Like are they both are – are both sides human? To kind of explain it a little better, imagine that instead of 
in the 1400s, we discover the Americas. Instead, all of those people or whatever, there are actual people who have been on the moon as long as people have been on Earth. And so for all of human history, they have been like growing their civilizations alongside each other. They've kind of been able to see each other and see things happening on those different planets. And then what goes from there? That's a really hard one, but okay. 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 Oh, it's hard as hell. That's really hard. See, I had like some easy ones in here. I'm definitely getting rid of those now. Um, Whew. Okay. An easier for the first one. No, no. Let's just make them as hard as possible and deal with it. They which might be terrible fiction the first one out. Okay. Mm. Now I'm trying to figure out which one of these is harder. <laughs> mm. Okay, this one's right up your alley, but um yeah. Uh and it's kind of it's a very, very similar concept, strangely enough. Okay. You live on Rapa Nui, Easter Island. Men in a massive boat made from more wood than has ever existed on your island arrived a week ago. They traded with you for your abundant food, marveled at your massive Moai statues, spoke strange languages, but then they left. You thought your island was the whole world. In 50 years, more large boats will arrive. And in that time, a bird-worshipping cult will arise on the island, the Moai will be mostly toppled, and society will begin to collapse. Why? Okay. I think I can do something with that. Okay. Yeah. Um... Very interesting. This is going to be fun. I love that I had a prompt that was similar. Yeah, so be basically be two sides of the same stone. Like discovery, where do you go with it? Right. Okay. And you can write it however you want. It can be serious, horror, <laughs> fantasy, comedy, whatever. Okay. Do you have Do you have another prompt ready? You said. Oh, you I can come up with one if you want me to. Okay. If you have one, gonna... you would rather have me. No, I'll, we can cut this part out. I was just going to say, if we wanted to do easier ones, I have like a couple ones that could be spooky since this will be coming out. I guess this will be coming out after Halloween, so it doesn't really matter. But I have a couple spots that could be specifically spooky. But let's just go with these. Yeah. Let's deal with these. Okay. Huh. I don't even know where to start. I have so many like half-formed thoughts now. <laughs> it's okay. This literally just came to me the other night. I was sitting on my porch and I was looking up at the moon and I was like, man... How crazy would it have been if there were, like, people up there, but, like, we didn't have rocket ships, so you couldn't get to them. But, like, you always knew they were there, mm-hmm. and you could see them with a telescope. Mm-hmm. That would have been insane. Like, the entire history of human civilization would have been so different. Like, we would have so many rocket ships right now. Right. Right. I'm just like I'm trying to figure out like what where to place this in time or do I write it like it's a history book? Um I'm very interested. I'm very I have I don't know where to start. But yeah, that's fun. Okay. Okay. And I love like the one I gave to you, I came up with it because um uh do you listen to the podcast Our Fake History? Hello? No, I do not. Okay. Well they did a um they did two episodes on Rapa Nui, and um, they were talking about the fact that nobody actually knows what happened between when the Dutch found it on Easter Sunday and the 50 to 70 years 
later when that society had basically collapsed because they didn't have any writing and they didn't like most of uh, so many of them were dead and the uh, society was gone and everybody who showed up afterwards were just raiding the island for the moai heads and stuff um, and not trying to figure it out but they don't know exactly what went down in the meantime so it's an interesting little attempt to explain it yeah okay well um cool All you right. need me do you still send you a um prompt yeah send me a text version of it you can text it to me or something just give me some things that i can copy and paste onto a document before i start writing yeah, so i can you, work off that do an email because that's all right on the computer so yeah and we can also put them, we'll put both those prompts into the um episode description uh so that maybe y'all can listeners you can read a, or try your hand at it as well um but yeah we'll be presenting original writings with those two prompts as the episode next week and going over the next few chapters of out of the silent planet so uh it's gonna it's gonna you, you cut out after the word gonna be dope it's gonna be dope okay <laughs> well we will see you next time follow us on twitter and facebook and instagram and all that stuff and um if you want to submit these writings maybe we will um do a bonus episode where um we will read uh guest writings um for these uh prompts that we've given each other you can email us at bookreportpod at gmail.com and we'll see you next time bye guys